morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Great to see you today. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in here, don't you think? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, we want to extend a very special thank you to those of you who helped to decorate our church because it looks absolutely amazing. And uh, Brandy Court is the CEO of this entire operation. Brandy, stand up so people can uh, laud you for your great efforts. Now, one of the great things about Brandy was she pulled me by my shirt this or my sport coat this morning and said, hey, make sure that you give gratitude to those others who helped me decorate this church. So if you were among the team who helped decorate, you know, this stage, this sanctuary down the hall, can you please stand up so we can thank you as well? Thank you. And I have to confess to you, I didn't help one bit. And you don't want me helping with this stuff. Brandy actually tells me to stay out of the room because I would mess things up. She's giving me her nonverbal affirmation. But uh, nonetheless, uh, thank you, everyone. And thank you for joining us in worship today. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can certainly do that. And we would just ask that you communicate with us. And the way that you talk to us is by taking one of those cards. It's called a communication card, like a talking card that you can find on the seat back in front of you if you could fill that out. And if you have some free time afterwards, stop by and see us at the Welcome Center and just drop it off there. And we'll communicate with you from you having communicated with us through that card. And we'll give you a free gift just for joining us uh, this morning in worship. Uh, for those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com. And there's a banner on our, on our front page that says, Are You New Here?, Click on that banner, complete the form, and the same process will happen. I'll connect with you sometime this week uh, as well. I do have a few uh, notes of interest for you, the first of which is our Christmas services times. This is a mild change from years past, but because Christmas Eve is happening on Sunday, we will do our candlelight Christmas Eve services on Sunday morning. So we'll have worship during the same hours at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., and kids will stay in the worship service with parents, kindergarten through sixth grade, because it's kind of a family-oriented experience. And so invite a friend, invite a family member. It's going to be a great worship experience all together as we gather together to, to celebrate the fact that God sent his one and only son to be born in a manger in a humble setting that he might redeem all of humanity. And so we hope that you'll join us on Christmas Eve, Sunday, December 24th, at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m., respectively. That's all I have this morning in the way of uh, notes of interest and announcements. Um, if you have come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, uh, you know what to do and how to do it. I do have a slide that I wanted to project up on there. It's the first Sunday of the month, and it's Benevolent Sunday. And so those of you that come prepared to give to our Benevolence Ministry, um, now is the time to do that. This Sunday is the time to do that, and so that's just a friendly reminder to uh, give to uh, the Benevolence Ministry um, today. But that's all I have this morning. Thank you for giving to, uh, of your tithes and offerings uh, and to worship the Lord Jesus in that way. If you could stand this morning, uh, we're going to bow for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to worship you now. We join the heavenly chorus of, of angels who proclaimed 2,000 years ago, glory to God in the highest. 
They proclaimed that to you because you did something amazing by sending your son in human form to redeem our lives. We come here this morning to say the same thing for the same reason. Glory to God in the highest for you sent Jesus to us and we're thankful unto you for it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's kick off this Christmas season in the right way by giving glory to God in the highest. Let's worship him together. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight or all the earth. You who sang creation story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ the newborn King. This is how it happened. Shepherds in their fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night. God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. Let's lift it.
Christ, the newborn king this morning. Let's continue to bless and praise his name, for he's here. say he came to earth as a baby to save, we also remember that he was going to grow up and to be a perfect man, a sinless man, who could take our sins and bear them on the cross. And when he did that, that is how we were saved. He came as a baby, grew up, 
lived sinless and died for you and me and was raised to life again so that we can live eternally with him and have hope in him. So we remember that as we worship this morning. Let's continue to praise him. Jesus Messiah, the Lord of all. His body, the bread, his blood, the wine, was broken and poured out all for love. The whole earth trembled. And the veil was torn. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. Name above all.
You are our hope. You are the light of the world. We sing on to you one more time. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. all fit to send your son Jesus to be the rescue for sinners the ransom from heaven the light of the world that's who you are to us today and so much more but we remember that today as we begin this Christmas season that you are the reason we celebrate you are our light you are our hope and may that be on our hearts and minds throughout the next four weeks as we bless and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord. I cannot wait. What can't you wait for? Abigail, how many times have I told you not to interrupt me when I'm feeling inspired? It's, well, kind of hard to get back on track. I have a feeling you'll figure it out. What can't you wait for? The promised Messiah. The Messiah. Well, let's put it this way. This world needs someone to save it. Well, people need someone to save them. The Messiah is the one who's going to do the saving. And he's coming. Coming to our people, Israel. What time today? Is he coming today? No, not today. But just the right time. He's coming for our people. He's coming to bring righteousness to the earth. He's coming to make all things new. But for now, we wait. And me, I write. What's my cutie with me? Oh, wait, why don't you stay? I'll tell you about him. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and, and forevermore. Well, thank you to Isaiah and Abigail for getting our Christmas season started with some beautiful prophecy this morning, reminding us that those with an eye to see, an ear to hear, and a heart to be moved felt the Christ before he even arrived. The greatest visit from God to man was predicted, it was prophesied, it was expected, it was hoped for. And it reminds us this morning that tis the season to be hopeful. Is the season to be hopeful. Young disciples, you may be dismissed at this time to head on down the hall. What a gaggle of children. My goodness. Wow. For you old disciples, we're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. We're starting a series today called Tis the Season to Be. Dot, dot, dot. And we'll be talking about a different character quality to embody. And we'll have our children's and youth departments every single week letting us know just how we ought to be responding to the Christmas season. Mary and Joseph and Gabriel will be visiting us. The shepherds will be visiting us. The wise men will be visiting us each and every week. But today, truly, Isaiah has reminded us that it is the season to be hopeful. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at the last prophecy prior to Christ today. The last prophecy about the Messiah coming was not found in the Old Testament, believe it or not. It was actually in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading verse 67 and following in just a few minutes. But for those of you who like to follow along in your Bibles, that brings you great joy. I would like to also invite you to put a little note in Isaiah chapter 42. And if you really want to hop around with me this morning, 
you can put another note in Genesis chapter 12. So we'll use those three passages to kind of paint the picture of why it is the season to be hopeful. Many years ago, I was the young adult pastor here at Victory Life, and I liked to do some fun events, and I devised one called the Magical Mystery Tour. And the idea was very simple. The young adults would show up to the building. They'd see on the walls which team they were broken into. But I wouldn't be here. There'd just be a recording of me letting them know that I'd been kidnapped. And they were going to need to come find me. So my pal Joey and I left a recording to say we'd been kidnapped. And they listened to the recording. And then they just left on their teams. And they had to go all throughout Stowe, Cuyahoga Falls, Hudson, Talmadge to find clues that we'd planted all over the county that would eventually lead them to the place where Joey and I were trapped, hidden. Well, we weren't really trapped or hidden at the time that they were in the building. We were just on the other end, and we were kind of watching through the windows. Did they get here? Did they listen to the message? Did they leave? All right, they're out. Let's go get in our hiding place. And so we decided that they would all culminate back here at the building, and we would be trapped in the baptismal. So the South Sanctuary used to have a baptismal in the floor that was covered by a couple of hundred-pound stage pieces, a couple hundred pounds each. And the only way to access it was to move these things by, with some strength, and then you could get down in. So my parents came, and Joey and I were there. We, we threw some bean bags in and a couple of bottles of water right after the young adults left, and we got into the baptismal. And then we had my parents cover it with those couple hundred-pound stage pieces again. And then to make it a little extra crazy, we had them go ahead and put the drum set and the wedge monitors back on the stage on top of us. And we got in there, we were so excited. Yes, we were in the dark, but we were kind of talking, you know, did they find this clue and did they find this clue and, and which clue are they at now and which clue might they be at now? And that excitement lasted for all of 10 minutes until we recognized that we'd put ourselves in a self-imposed tomb. There was no air getting in and it was dark. And it was, as my wife's people call it, compatiati. It was claustrophobic in the extreme. And then the air began to get thin. And then we began to sweat. Eventually, I began to wonder if they would be able to follow the clues. Did I actually write the clues well enough for them to come and rescue us? Because we weren't getting out. It was bad. Eventually, I hoped that Joy would stop breathing to conserve air for me. I, it was getting desperate in there. Now, now there, there is a picture that exists today somewhere on the internet of, of the moment Joey and I emerged from the baptismal, sweating bullets, looking like we had been in a tomb. But it felt like a tomb, and I was getting a little bit anxious. I was getting nervous. I was beginning to lose hope, and finally I heard it, young adults running and screaming through the building. And I thought, yes, thank you, Lord, they're here. All they got to do is, is put the puzzle pieces together. They'll have a riddle, and the riddle will tell them to come open the baptismal. So I'm waiting. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and finally I hear it. The loud wooden doors of the South Sanctuary are pulled open, young adults yelling. And I heard in the moment of my deliverance, well, they can't be in there. The drums are on top of it. And they left. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to move the drums and get us out of here. We're dying. So we sat there a little bit longer, and eventually we heard the, the, the sound of our deliverance, a thrill of hope. The weary skiff rejoiced, and, and, and they came into the room, and there was yelling, and there literally was cymbals and toms crashing off the stage, wedge monitors tossed, and, and the, the stage pieces parted, and oh, the sweet light had dawned, and air flooded in, and I kind of pushed Joey so I could get my head out first, and I thought, this is it. This is the light. This is salvation. This is air. 
We are out of here. Thank God the clues all pointed them back to this place. You know, the prophets of old are the ones that really tell us the story of Christ before his coming. In fact, you can't really tell the story of Christmas without talking about the prophetic message. There's a weightiness to it. That there's an entire salvation history that was taking place from Genesis to Malachi. A plan of God that was in the works that was going to culminate in the coming of God to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter how dark the times got for the prophets. It didn't matter how bad the culture got. Oftentimes, the prophets were looking out going, everybody's in sin. Everybody has rebelled against God. Nobody's listening to the voice of God. People hate God, yet they still had this expectation in the dark that the Messiah was coming. It didn't matter for Isaiah, who we met this morning, that the Assyrian armies were flooding down out of the north of the Fertile Crescent in order to wipe out nations like a wave. It didn't matter for the prophet Ezekiel that he prophesied from exile, having seen his people removed from their land. It didn't matter for the prophet Jeremiah that he looked at that ravaged land of Israel and said, this is but a husk of what it once was yet he's still predicting a new covenant. It didn't matter for Daniel that he would never serve under an Israelite king. He would only serve under foreign powers his entire life. Yet in the darkness they waited, saying the light is about to dawn. And as we reach the last prophet of the Messiah this morning, he also waited in darkness. I think there's something sad when we think about the hopeful expectation of the prophets as we sometimes compare it to God's people today. You know, we often talk about doing Christmas right. We don't want to be part of the commercial exploits of the world. We want to have a different hope and a different expectation in this time. But I ask you today, do you really have a hope today that matches the hope of the prophets Can you really look at the dark, dying, lost world around you and still expect that God can make a major impact in the lives of people around you? You see, the prophets spoke as if the Christ was already here, already come, already a memory. But for us, he has. He has come. He has been here. He is a memory. We've seen what Christ has done, but oftentimes we wallow in a sense of despair perhaps because we're not hoping for the right things, or perhaps because we're not putting our faith in the right places. Why is it that the prophets in the darkest times in history could hope in the goodness of God, yet we on the other side of the the incarnate Christ often don't hope for him to change circumstances at all? My prayer for you today, my prayer for me, is that we would learn to hope like the prophets that regardless of the darkness surrounding us, we would expect the light to dawn. But I think we need to learn to hope, and I think we need to learn to hope for the right things. And the last prophet prior to Christ is going to help us with that this morning. His name was Zechariah. No, not the Zechariah of the Old Testament, Zechariah of the New Testament. You might know him if you've been raised in church as the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest. And One day, as he entered the temple, in the era of Roman rule of Israel, he was met by an angel. 
who told him that he and his wife of advanced years were going to have a son. And that son was going to be the forerunner, the prophet of the Messiah. But Zechariah had lost all hope. He did not believe. And therefore the angel shut up his mouth until the time that John was to be born. But by the time his son was born, his hope had been restored. He'd learned hope. And what he says about the coming Messiah, I hope instills hope in you today. On the day that he named his son John, we pick up the story of Zechariah, the last prophet prior to the coming of the Christ. Look at verse 67 with me. And John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteous before him all our days. And you, child, you will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Doubting Zechariah learned to hope. He learned to put great expectations in God. If you read this particular passage, can you read it and say, well, Zechariah wasn't hoping for much. No, he was hoping for a lot. It's a pretty big passage. How did he learn hope? What happened that allowed him to establish in the goodness of God? Because that wasn't where he came from. It wasn't where he began. Both the darkness around him, but also the sadness of his own life had led him to a place where he was not hopeful. Isaiah had prophesied 740 years earlier. This whole thing that took place right here, 740 years before the time of Zechariah. And he'd been beaten down by life, thinking that there would be children in his future whatsoever. Yet something happens in his personal life that allows him to establish a hope that's not a small hope, but a massive one that the Messiah that has been talked about for nearly a thousand years was going to come and make all things new, what helped him learn this hope? Maybe it was this motion right here. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. You see, God had done something in Zechariah's life, something strong, something powerful, something, something marked, that allowed him to establish a hope that didn't begin and end with Zechariah and his family. But his hope extended now to the people of God, all God's people, because he'd seen a miracle in his son John. See, something had happened personally that allowed him to hope in a great sense. 
Zechariah was hoping in a goodness from God that prior to the nine months that he'd been silent hadn't been part of his life. He saw the goodness of God in his own life and began to believe in it in the lives of others. That is where hope for this world begins. From a 30,000-year-old life, began to do things in his life that were powerful, he began to expect that God could do things in the lives of others that were powerful. Do you have that type of hope today? Has that translated for you? So many of you who would call yourself Christians, you've had encounters with God. You've had promises kept. You've had prayers answered. You've had provision granted. You've had times in your life that you knew God moved and you knew he moved powerfully. But has that translated into hope for a lost and a dying world? John is, is sitting in Zechariah's arms, not having Zechariah think, you know what, I'm really excited about his first home run. I'm really, really thrilled about the first goal. I hope that one day Pastor Matt will write a skit for him to be in in church. I'm looking forward one day to a good college for him and he's giving me grandchildren. No, Zechariah looks down at John and goes, God's going to save people. Because he's done something in my life that is undeniable. Is that translating into hope for you today? That's, that's how we learn hope. God does something in us and then we hope for others. The problem with us, though, is that our, our memories are so short and our recollections so fickle. We know God's done things in our life, but it wasn't this week. And therefore, it's hard for us to hope for other people. I was talking to a gentleman from the church recently. And he says, Pastor Matt, I'm really struggling with the concept of heaven. I'm worried that maybe I die and then it just all goes dark. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, you know, any doubt that you would have, I've, I've, I've dealt with myself, myself I'm sure. I've, I've worried about that at times. I said, I said, why? He goes, I don't know. I've just, I just been thinking about it. So I asked him a question. I said, well, let me ask you something. Have you ever felt the presence of God like you knew he was real? And without hesitating, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the last two pursuit nights that I've been at, boy, did I feel the presence of God. I said, well, if you feel the presence of God, why would you assume that there is no heaven? And he said, I don't know. I said, he said, maybe, maybe I just wondered if it was just the way the songs swelled. And it, it was just the songs that made me feel that way. And I said, well, in the moment, would you have felt that way? He goes, no, in the moment, I would have been certain that that was the presence of God. I said, yeah, I can understand that. I, I can understand the idea that maybe you had tricked yourself. In the same way Zechariah could have said, oh, I don't know if I really saw it. I might have had too much pita the night before. I don't know if I saw that angel. We could have these moments where God's to our life and go, I'm not sure if that was really God. Well, he was having one of those moments, so I said to him, well, I don't know if this will help you, but I said, what if I told you that that same presence that we feel sometimes when we're surrendered to God in worship can be felt when you pray personally? It can even be felt when you pray with others. I said, just recently, I sat with my prayer, my prayer group on, on Tuesday at noon, and the presence of God just descended in that place so strong that no one could deny that God was real. In fact, no one could speak. No one, no one even wanted to, to end the meeting because the presence of God was so strong. And, and we all felt it, and there was no music. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, okay. Yeah, there can be a heaven. And then he walked away. I'm like, yeah, it's just that simple. It, it's, it's replacing doubt and fickle memory 
with faith and hope in a God that does do good things. Some of you, God has provided for you miraculously time and time again. Yet you don't turn that into hope for the rest of the world, that God could do the same thing for others. So many of you have had moments where you felt the presence of God. Do you believe that others can feel the presence of God? So many of you have times where God brought light into your circumstance when you were walking in darkness, but, but do you believe that God can do that in the lives of others? See, this is what happened in Zechariah. He's not looking down at John going, how nice. I've wanted this my whole life. He looks down at John and goes, God's going to save people. I'm taking the blessing in my life and recognizing the goodness of God that that can be extended to other people. So that's the 30,000-foot view in the life of Zechariah. But what did he put his hope in? Was his hope well-placed? Was what he wanted going to happen in the lives of other people? Well, for that, we need to get down into the passage, so let's do that this morning. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Let's just stop there for just a moment. Holy history matters. The Bible doesn't start in Matthew chapter 1. God's been up to something, and he's been up to something through the people of Israel. Let's continue to read. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Let's stop there for just a moment. The key word in this passage is visit. It takes place here in verse 68, and it takes place again in verse 78. Zechariah is putting his hope in a God that shows up. A hope in a God that visits. A hope in a God that's going to make his way into this world. The, the $10 theological word for that is incarnation, to take on flesh. He is hoping that God is going to show up in person. Now, once again, I just want to go back to Zechariah's hope, his expectancy, his anticipation, and ask if ours matches it today. We know Christ. We've met Christ. We've encountered Christ. Is our hope the same as his? And the reason I ask that question is his first three verbs are in the past tense. He has visited and redeemed and raised up a horn of salvation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Zechariah's talking like it's already happened, already done, already a memory. When you think about your family that does not yet know Christ, when you think about your neighbors that do not yet know Christ, when you think about your classmates that do not yet know Christ, when you think about people living in darkness, do you have enough hope in who God is to start talking about him visiting them in the past tense? As if he's already done it. It's already memory. It's already taken place. Now, I'm not good with gestational time. I know that Elizabeth got pregnant, and then Mary got pregnant, and then Elizabeth had a baby, and then Mary had a baby. Don't ask me months. Very confusing. If you tell me your due date, I'll forget it, and I'll ask you again. But this is months and months before Christ actually comes to earth. And 33 years before he dies on a cross to redeem people, yet Zechariah is talking as if it's already done, already a memory. Do you see why it's so important that we take the moments that God has been present in our own lives and ask ourselves the question, 
do we have hope that God can do in others' lives what he's done in my own? Zechariah said, I have a faith in a God that shows up and that's going to show up. We heard from Isaiah this morning, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And of course, that's a very famous prophecy of the Messiah, and we can thank George Friedrich Handel for making it so, because he wrote the Messiah and he centered on those words. Jesus liked to liken his ministry to the servant psalms of the later part of Isaiah. I want to read some of those for you this morning. I told you if you want to be in Isaiah chapter 42, it would be a good place to go because this is what Jesus says of his mission when he begins it in Luke chapter 4. If you're in Isaiah 42, we're going to read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 6. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant. Now this is talking of the Messiah who is to come. The one whom I am uphold, my chosen, and in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, I just want to stop there for just a minute and remind you of that baptismal scene of Jesus. I will put my spirit on him, and he is my chosen, and in him my soul delights. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. All right, Jesus is following the model given to him through Isaiah chapter 42. Let's skip down to chapter, or verse 6 where Jesus really sees himself as this messianic figure. God says, I am the Lord, and I have called the Messiah or the Christ in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open eyes that are blind, and to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. And if you want to do some personal reading this week, go ahead to Luke chapter 4, where you see Jesus referencing these verses as he sits in the synagogue and tells people about his mission. See, Zechariah had hope in a God who would show up and who would renew or remake or redo a covenant with God's people and become a light for all. In fact, he says as much in these passages here, verse 72. He says, this Messiah is coming to show mercy, Luke 1, verse 72, to promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So Zechariah has faith in a God who's going to show up, but a God who is also going to fulfill his covenant. Now for those of you who weren't raised in church, this covenant's an important one. A covenant is an agreement between God and man by which God wants to bless his people. He's going to do the blessing. He's going to do the work. He's going to provide. All they need to do is fulfill their end of the bargain. Just stay faithful to me. You stay faithful to me, and I will bless you. And that's why it's so important that we know the holy history of Israel. Because God had made promises, as Zechariah said to Abraham, promises that he was still intent on fulfilling. And the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 42, verse 6, that this Messiah is coming to make sure this covenant takes place. To make sure that God's blessing takes place. So let's go back to this hope of covenant fulfilled. Let's make sure we know what God had promised Abraham so that we can be certain that Jesus is the one that's going to fulfill it, that Zechariah's and our hope is not misplaced. Our third and final passage of today, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to see what God promised Abraham. 
We're going to see what Zechariah is referencing. We're going to see the plan that God's been laying out for 2,000 years up until the time of Zechariah and been fulfilling for 2,000 years since the time of Zechariah. Now, for those of you who are a bit of Bible scholars, you know that we could go to Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, or Genesis 26 to see the covenant and promises with Abraham. But we're just going to start at the very beginning and just use this as our, as our signal passage. Let's see what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the father of the Israelite people. The Lord said to Abraham, verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. I want you to fast forward 2,000 years. Zechariah is holding little baby John. And can he honestly say that his nation is great? And can he honestly say that the families of the earth, that's every clan, are being blessed through his people? Yet he expects, when the Messiah comes, that those promises will be fulfilled. And he holds them in tension beautifully in this passage. He he vacillates, he goes between, there's a holy history in Israel here that we can't miss, but there's also a holy history of salvation, the blessing of every nation and clan that we can't miss either. And how's that going to happen unless God sends somebody to help us with that. Now, we know the story of the Old Testament. And if we don't, I can lay it out for you simply. All Israel had to do was remain faithful to God, and God would bring about these two outcomes. Your name will be great. You'll be consequential. I will bless you. I'll take care of you. And you will become a blessing to every nation, every tribe, every language on the face of the earth. That's the promise to Abraham. And as Zechariah stands there near a temple that had been defiled by Roman boots, when he stands there in a Jerusalem that had been built by a man who wasn't even one of his kindred, as he stands there and he recognizes that the priesthood that he reports to has been instilled by the Romans, as he stands there and he's in a backwater nation that that is of no consequence he's going God's going to bless the world I can feel it because he's going to fulfill his covenant through the one who is coming so how was Israel of no account yet God was going to make it of some account that's the great question of Zechariah's hope for his people had not remained faithful to God all he needed them to do was remain faithful to him but they could not They became enamored with the created thing, and the prophets point us to this reality as well. They bowed down to the idols of this world, the gods of gain, the gods of sex, the gods of power, the gods of substances. They loved the creation and the creatures of the earth, even worshiping them, but they did not pay homage to their creator. The Israelites had put themselves in the self-imposed tomb of covenant breakers. 
They put themselves in the tomb and covered themselves over, saying, we shall not remain faithful to you. And this is why Zechariah uses words like, he has redeemed his people. He's coming in mercy. He's going to establish righteousness and holiness. He's going to come and make things right. Because the Old Testament is a story of God wanting to bless, but of people who could not receive it because God could not bless sin and rebellion. Yet still, Zechariah holding his son John says, God, I know you're going to bless us in spite. I know you're going to redeem. I know you're going to make new. I know you're going to fulfill your end of the covenant. You're coming to visit us to do so. And when you come, I have a hope in a God who forgives. That's where his hope is placed. Not in a God who passes out candy canes and gifts like Santa but in a God who will come and look at a humanity who has bowed down to the idols of gain and sex and power and substances and bowed down to the created thing, who though they knew God neither honored him nor gave thanks to him, a world that looked at their creator and said, no thank you, I'll worship this that you've given us, and he's going to forgive. That's where Zechariah's hope is. That those who had pulled the dirt over them, living in the land of the shadow of death, who had said, I don't need you, I don't want you, and I'll do things my own way. He would come and say, no, no, I want to forgive you. I want to make all things new. I want to atone for your sin. I want to make sure that you can be raised in righteousness. I want the light to to shine on you. This is what Zechariah hoped for. You can't tell the story of the prophetic messages of the Messiah without recognizing that the Messiah came to forgive. He's a God who forgives. That's what Zechariah needed them to know, that they could be redeemed. Verse 76, And you, John, will be called prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. No one needs to live in a self-imposed tomb for the Lord comes to forgive. And finally, like the prophet Isaiah before him, Zechariah reminds us that he has hope in a God who wants to give light. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah had hope in a Messiah that would come and forgive and he had hope in a Messiah that would come and shine light on a people living in darkness whose heritage was death and who had no peace. That's the hope that Zechariah learned. Learned. As God came into his life circumstances, he turned his face outward and said God can come into the life circumstances of all people 
So I ask you today, O people of God, are you convinced that the same God who visited you, who redeemed you, who forgave you, who gave you light, can do that for others? Have you learned hope yet? Have you began to put your expectation in a God who can and will save lost and dying people? For we too are in a prophetic age, one in which we declare the wonders of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you prepared to declare those wonders should the Lord loose your tongue? Are you prepared today to look at the good gifts of your life and say, this is not for me. This is for them. It's not about me. It's about salvation for those who are lost. I'm sure Zechariah hoped for his child his entire adult life. But when the blessing of God poured into his life, God did something miraculous. He stopped thinking about Zechariah and he started thinking about those whom the Messiah could save. Tis the season to be hopeful. Are you thinking right now about those whom the Lord can visit to shine his light and to guide them out of darkness? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Some of us need to adjust our hope today. Some of us are hoping in, in the created thing. We're worshiping idols of this world, the created thing, rather than the creator. Desperate for a hallmark Christmas or wanting things. But there are others in this place. Your, your hope is about salvation or your lack thereof is about salvation. You've stopped hoping and praying and expecting that the light would dawn on others. Grateful for the gifts you've been given but not turning your focus on a lost and a dying world. My question to you today, my brothers and sisters, is what will you do today to adjust your hope? What will you do today to learn hope? Hope that Jesus can visit any human heart. Hope that Jesus can shine light on any broken circumstance. Hope that Jesus can change even the most wayward of sinners. Do you have that hope today? Well, we're going to pray that that hope is restored, made new. Today you might also be in this place and you just need to put your hope in Christ. Some of you have been living in a self-imposed tomb. Sin, rebellion, stuck, wrong expectations, worshiping the created thing rather than the creator, and you need the Lord's light to dawn. He'll meet you here today. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Will you ask for his light? 
would you be willing to take in a deep breath of fresh air that he could provide? If that's the case, I'd like to pray with you today or have you pray with another. So for just a few minutes, let's make this place a house of prayer, both for those who need their hope restored for others or any in this place that just need hope to be found in Christ. I'm going to ask that our elders, our staff, our intercessors take places in the four corners of this room. And if you came into this place today and you'd say, Pastor Matt, I can't hope for others because I can't hope for myself today. I don't have any hope. I'm lost and I'm dying and I'm wrecked. And I need this Christ that you've talked about and that Zechariah prophesied about, I need him. If that's you today, I'd love for you to do something bold and to just get up right now and go pray with one of our elders, one of our leaders. They'd love to pray for you. If you need your hope restored, if you need Christ to come in and move, let's make this house of prayer the way that Jesus said we could. Go pray with someone right now. Just stand and move. Someone wants to pray with you. What we're going to do is just sing a song here together with AJ. And if you came into this place today hoping in everything and all things except the most important thing, I'm going to ask you, sit in your seat and ask the Lord, Lord, is my hope in you today? And do I hope the way the prophets did? But if you came into this place and you need prayer today, someone to pray for you, someone to pray over you, all you got to do is get up and move to the four corners of the room. Someone will pray with you. When you're done praying, you can join us in song. Let's make this place a house of prayer and worship for a few minutes together. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. Let's sing that first verse again. It just really reflects on the moment that Jesus came from heaven to earth to redeem his people. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Would you stand and sing along as we worship God, the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory. Pray. 
the King. Uh, praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Lord, I pray amongst your people today that our hope would be firmly placed in the Christ, the one who has visited us, the one who has fulfilled the covenant, the one who can and will forgive, and the one who will guide us into his marvelous light. Lord, I pray that we would hope that way for the people around us and pray expectantly for the day you move in and save their souls. Lord, we thank you for our time together today, and we pray that you would use us as instruments of your hope and your joy and your love and your peace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.